No, I didn't. No, I did. Yud Ches Menachemov. Yud Ches Menachemov. Chai. The 18th of Menachemov. We had this week Tubov, the 15th day of Menachemov which is today only a minor holiday in the days of old was a major holiday which we're going to explain we're going to read Pasha's Ekev this Shabbos is Chof Menachemov Chof Menachemov, as we know, is the yard site of the Rebbe's father. Unfortunately, the Rebbe's father was imprisoned and was sent to Almaty in Kazakhstan, which is extremely, extremely far away from actual Moscow even. It's several hours flying. And the Rebbe didn't even merit to have his parents by his wedding. But ultimately, at least the imprisonment was more of an exile than an imprisonment there. And Ablavik was able to pretty much live a life there of sorts. There are many, many... Oh, now he can sign back in. So now this guy's going to text me. So one minute, Ezra, I'm going to have to unskype and Skype on again because this guy just got on. Yes, we are back on track. On the day of the Rebbe's wedding, which was in Warsaw, Rebbe Levik, although as we said before, was not exactly in prison, but he was not exactly in on a vacation home, in a villa, he managed to join with the adjoining apartment that was next to his and they made a mini wedding during the time that the Rebbe was getting married in Warsaw on Chof the Rebbe's father's yard said the Rebbe tells many many stories the Rebbe would make a siyim the Rebbe would tell many stories of his father that's when you listen to the uh, series of Maise Rav you'll hear all these stories of the Rebbe talking about his father, you know, of course, these are talking about Chafov usually. I'm under siege. Pasha's Ekev is a very, very awkward name of his Pasha. An Ekev, meaning an ankle. 
as it will happen, as it will come to be. Or as a result of what you're going to do by listening to the words of the Torah. Rashi tells us that Ekev, literal translation, means a heel, and it refers to the mitzvahs which we step on with our heels. We know Dabar HaMelech was very, very um, concerned about those mitzvahs. He was concerned that he does those mitzvahs properly. Now, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Dabar HaMelech, King David himself. Obviously, he did all the mitzvahs properly. But as we know in our own lives, in our own style, in our own way of behaving, there are certain mitzvahs that almost come natural by some of us. Fasting, Tishabov, not a mitzvah, sorry. Um, Shabbos, yeah, we paid for that already. Shabbos, Yom Tiv. Then you have the mitzvahs that are dashed by a cave of, that are stepped on with the ankles. Small mitzvahs. I don't know, think of one. <laughs> Sometimes tzedakah. Sometimes uh, we overlook our tzedakah's obligations. Sometimes we have to give tithe, we have to give maisa. And we don't bear, we don't keep track of exactly how it's done. Eating kosher is neglected sometimes. Does it mean that a person is going to outright eat something that's chashom treif? No. Even a person that is not 100% careful in his kasha standards is almost stepping on it, making it light of the mitzvah. Think of a mitzvah that would be considered a mitzvah that people would step on an ethnic person would not step on a person is so careful, tefillin a person is so careful with you, tefillin speaking of tefillin we have in this week's parasha the tefillin we'll come back to Dashbar Kevav afterwards in the realm of tefillin we have a very interesting contradiction from last week's parasha to this week's parasha last week's parasha we have Shema Yitzchak V'Ahavta in the Shema Yisrael V'Ahavta we have, as we pretty much say it every day on a daily basis, we have the Pasuk that teaches us about education. And it says, V'shinantam l'vanecha v'dibarta ba'om v'shivtcha v'sacha v'latcha v'darach v'shach b'chumecha It gives us all the scenarios in which you have to educate your children, which is all the scenarios that you find yourself and then the Torah says, <coughs> The Torah refers to the tefillin that the person was done on a daily basis, except for Shabbos and Yom Tov. And we look in this week's Pasha, and this week's Pasha we have, no, we have a different thing. First it says, <coughs> And then it says, <coughs> First it talks about putting on the tefillin. And then it talks about educating your children. So, in essence, we have a contradiction. 
from the from the Pasha of Yahafta and the Pasha of Vahayim Shemaya. What are we concerned with? We're concerned with Chinuch. Education. Terah teaches us as follows. In Vyahafta, when it mentions first about education and then about tefillin, it says typical people, a typical parent has a child and starts to talk. When they start to talk, the person gets all emotional while my child's talking. How cute it is, how sweet it is. Are you getting a feedback on the Skype? Are you getting an echo there? Yeah. No, that's no good. I can't do that either. Okay. I don't know. Are you getting an echo in the Skype? I don't know. Um, so the child starts to talk. And the father says, Oh, my kid, say Taira, Tiva, Lanu. And you want to educate the child. You want the child to say words of Taira and things that are going to impress the child properly. However, there's a very interesting bracha that many men proudly make. After they make the bracha, which is the bracha that the father recites by a bris, after they make that bracha and they feel so proud, look, I have a boy, I have a son, to continue my name. <laughs> i told the story many times. Of a, uh, there are certain groups of people that are very, very uh, adamant that their wife produces sons. When the wife produces a daughter, they get very, very irate. I mean, if you know who, what we're talking about, you know what we're talking about. Otherwise, I don't want to be going to the Gede of Lashon HaRachashon. Because there was one such woman in the hospital in Israel, in Israel, and she gave birth to a baby girl. The doctor says, Mazal Tov, you have a girl. And she bursts out crying. She starts crying and the doctor says, what's wrong? The child is healthy, it's beautiful. Has the fingers, has his hands, has the toes. She says, doctor, you have to understand, it's my third daughter. When my husband finds out, he's going to kill me. Now, unlike later days, modern days, where the husbands go into the actual delivery, in those days he sat in the waiting room. The doctor said, Azai, he's going to kill you? And she, he saw the way the woman said it, that it was literal, it wasn't just a, hit, a joke. So he went out to the waiting room, and he asked for the fellow, and the fellow jumps up, and he says to the fellow, we have a big problem, my friend. We're in the process still of delivering the baby. However, it seems to us that there's certain 
difficulties, certain problems that have come up with a child. And we don't know if we could save both. It's either the mother or the child. We might not, one of them might not survive this birth. Immediately the fellow got hysterical, he got so upset to hear such news, such a thought. He didn't know what to do. So the doctor said, says, can I go see my wife? He says, no, you can't see her. It's dangerous. She's in danger. Oh, I don't believe it. Child's in danger. Mother's in danger. So back and forth, and the doctor was begging, and he was pleading with the doctor, and the doctor would not. He would not acquiesce. And the first day went by, and those days... Women stayed in the hospital three days. And the second day they didn't let the father see the child and the mother. And on the third day when the woman was ready to go home, the doctor came to the father personally and again said to him, Mazal tov, your child is fine. Your wife and your daughter are going home with you. He says, Ah, Baruch Hashem. He was so happy that his wife and his child were alive that he didn't pay heed to the fact that it was a girl instead of a boy. On that subject of childbirth, of husbands sitting in the waiting room, they tell the story of the three people sitting in the waiting room. And um, the doctor comes out and he says to the first fellow, um, how does it go? Mazaltov, your wife had triple, uh, quadruplets. So he said, I say, Yofi, I live in Kiyat Arba. <laughs> and the next one came out and he says, the doctor, they had eight children. He says, Mazaltov, I live in Kiyat Shmone. The third guy jumps up and starts running out. He says, Habibi, your wife didn't give birth. Where are you going? He says, I live in Meret Shalim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That could get scary. Isn't it? It's a little traumatic over there. Um, back to our original subject. So we have, therefore, parents that after they make their, best, their great bracha, <laughs> after they make the great bracha, their next favorite bracha is when their son turns by mitzvah and he gets the Torah and after his aliyah, the father says, Baruch Shabbatarani Me'inish I'm part of the sins of this child. And you notice that as emotional as they are when the Bismillah they say Alamila, they're even more excited and emotional when they say Barashapatrani. Uh, Ezra, you're not gonna believe this. I gotta call back again because the guy fell out. Hold on.
Okay. Um, yeah. So after making that second bracha, people take it literal. And they don't just say, okay, I no longer have the sins of this child. But they say, I'm finished with this child. I don't want to hear from you again. You're by mitzvah now, live your own life. Bang your head in the wall. So therefore, the Tata says, give me some seconds. Therefore, the, the Tata tells us that that not only the Shinantam Levanecha comes with four tefillin before a mitzvah, but even after even after the child is wearing his tefillin, even after the child is by mitzvah ready, you still have the Maratamesim as Benechem. You still have the obligation to educate your child. They tell a story of Rahman Lutzan, a non affiliated Jew. And um, he had his pride and joy, his son. And the pride and joy of his life, the son, he sent occasionally to a Hebrew school. Pale, the child was turning 13 years old. What happens? The child turns 13. Has to have bar mitzvah. No. He marches into the Judaica store with the child. And he tells the uh, storekeeper, which everybody thinks must be a rabbi, who's selling Judaica stuff, So I need a bar mitzvah kit. The fellow takes him to the bar mitzvah section, and he opens up a little box, and there's a bag with tefillin and a talit. Here's your bar mitzvah kit. For the child looks at it and says, what's that? Father says, never mind, every bar mitzvah boy has to have one. He says, daddy, when are you getting bar mitzvah? His father obviously didn't have tefillin. Sometimes we get to see what it means. That the father's hearts are brought back through the children. And sometimes we see it very, very clearly. Children that become Balichuva. And they educate their father or their mother and they bring them around. Um, it doesn't always work. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes it causes a lot of strife. But a child that really means it will accomplish what they have to because some words that come out of the heart enter the heart. Therefore, when we talk about the yard side of Chafav, 
where Ablevik was known as a Kabbalist, and therefore was very staunch in his belief. One of the reasons they sent Ablevik into exile was because although he was the chief rabbi of Russia, really, he refused to acquiesce to the government's requests. And when the government turned to him and said that for the matzahs this year, you're going to have to be a little more lenient so there's more of a retail going on, he refused. And this is one of the reasons that they ultimately sent him into Golos. For refusing to compromise on the standard of the matzahs. A new testament, it's also a yard site. It should be Friday. Anyone that uh, has time Friday morning at quarter to nine would like to meet by the aisle. We need a minion, so if you can make it, Ashrecha. Oh, we have to be there quarter to nine. You want to be back here by eight thirty? Sweet. You worked last weekend. That's strange. Um, I just lost one of my members for the minion, so we better find some more. There are many people that came here after World War Two or during World War Two and they had different reactions to what they had gone through in the war. And of course we know that adversity tends to harden a person. When a person goes through adverse stages in their lives they tend to build up a resistance. When a person goes through certain trials and tribulations, they learn how to deal with them. And this is ultimately, we see the human body does this as well. And that's what antibiotics are all about. When a person has a bacteria in their system, the antibiotics teach the body how to fight off the disease. Then there were those people that came before World War II who didn't experience anything really hardships in Europe. And they came to what was known as the Golden Medina. Although many, many people, I heard this week actually someone told me a husband and a wife had a dintera in Europe where one of them wanted to go to settle in America and the other one refused. And the one that refused said because the Medina is such a treif in the Medina. And ultimately we look at it and we tell you today the horrific and sad 
exposures that people have gone gone through um, the things that go on today in the United States the, the sickness and the way people talk and the way people think the way people act and the way people react to certain things, the, the ruthlessness and the heartlessness of people, the way they treat other people and look to hurt other people for no reason, for no serve, no purpose. So the people were right when they said, "I don't want my, I don't want to move to this country. I don't want to bring my children up in this country." And there are those people that did show up here at the shores, and they faced the trials and tribulations of losing their jobs every Thursday, every Friday because they wouldn't work on Shabbos, and the cashier situations and all the other things they would go through, which many people succumbed to. Many people fell through with, and many people overcame. My grandparents, my mother's parents, came to America before the war, and my mother, Allah was born here in America. For an American-born girl, to be able to overcome what all her friends' lifestyles were, and to marry a from Chassidish boy, the odds were minus minus a hundred. But yet, Baruch Hashem, with Siat Deshmaya, my grandparents brought up. My mother, Shalom, and her sister. And my children will tell you, they remember, if you ask them, how do you remember what was Bobby doing whenever you walked into the house? She was saying, tell them. She would sit and say, tell them. She said, her, all her kapitlach, all her children, all her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, everyone's kapitl, tell them, she would say. And she davened Shachas and Mincha on a daily basis. And one of the most painful parts of her last years of her life was that she was a little bit of a burden to people, she thought. And this is the last thing she ever wanted to do. She never wanted to be a burden to people. So much so that every Friday... She didn't cook for herself only. <coughs> All the married children and grandchildren would come on Arab Shabbos to her house and pick up a package. Same package every week. Potato kugel, lakshin kugel, matzo balls, filter fish. She made this for everybody, every family. 
And you had to, sometimes you had to put it together yourself, or sometimes the packages were already made. For the last 30 years of her life, she suffered and struggled with Yenemachla. And would not have given it up for anything. <coughs> she went through those years, the 13 hard years of pain and tortures and chemotherapies and radiations. But she merited to see grandchildren born, great grandchildren born. This is all, this is all she lived for. It's all for her children. It says Friday is her yard site. It's so apropos that in this week's Pasha, Teret talks about Chinuch again. The Maratim Eisim has been But the Teret says the Maratim Eisim, Eisim is written usually Aleph Vav Sof Mem. And here it's written Aleph Sof Mem. Why the Vav out? Why is the Vav left out? And one of the connotations that meant by this is because when you read the words Aleph, the letters Aleph, Tav, Mem, they read Atem, you. This is a mainstay lesson of Chinuch. In order to in order to be able to teach them, you have to be Atem, you have to be a living example. And by a parent being a living example, they ultimately impress on the child that the child should follow in their footsteps and in their ways. Not making a seam tonight. Hopefully I'll be able to finish something tomorrow. We'll revert now a little bit to what we spoke about before, Tubov. Chemisha Asabaov, it's called. There's a Mishnah. And the Mishnah tells us, There was no such yamtiv, there was no such holiday to the Jews as the 15th day of Av and Yom Kippur. Let us name off a few of the historical moments that happened on the 15th day of Av. Yom Kippur we know. So let us examine what happened on the 15th day of Av. First of all, for those who remember Monday, (coughs) which was a very long time ago in some people's week, we did not say Tachnan on Monday because of the 15th day of Av. One of the first things mentioned in the history was on the 15th day of Av was the day that they discovered that they're ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. How did they discover this? We had spoken, when we spoke about Tisha B'Av, we said 
that the one of the focal points, one of the problems that happened on Tishabov was the Dera Midbar, the generation that died in the in the desert. How did they die? Every year on the night of Tishabov, they went into a ditch. And they went to sleep in that ditch. All the people from 20 to 60 years of age. In the morning, if you woke up, you came out of the ditch, and if you didn't, you got buried in the ditch. On this last year, the 40th year, As was customary annually, the fifth to the ninth Tishabov, the night before, all the people went into the ditch. The next morning, they all woke up. So, as we spoke a few weeks ago, that the first reaction, instead of being that we're alive, was they made a mistake on the date. And the next night they went back into the ditch. Maybe it wasn't Tishabov yet. Now they could do this for a few days. When do they have to stop? On the 15th day of Av. What's the 15th day of Av? The moon is full. Once the moon is full, you can't make a mistake. You know tonight is the 15th. And this is therefore, on the 15th day of Av, that they really discovered that they stopped dying. That everybody now officially came out alive. That was the first thing that happened on the 15th day above. Another thing that happened on the 15th day above there was a horrific story in the history of the Jews called Pelegesh Begiva. This fellow was traveling back from his in-law's house with his wife and his concubine. It's Pelegesh. And they arrived in Giva, and Giva was a horrifically decadent town. And ultimately the wife, the concubine was killed by the, by the people of Giva. The man, in turn, went and cut up his wife and sent a piece of her to every part of every shavit of the land. No, 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 I should see. And he said, with a message, this is what happened in Giva. Giva was shavit bin Yamin's hub. Here's the real guy giving the shit. See? The entire Jewish nation gathered together. They staged war against Shev Binyamin. And they killed out almost the entire tribe. And there was a prohibition of intermarrying into the tribe of Binyamin. On Tuba of this prohibition was lifted, 
And people were again, once again, able to marry with the people from Giva. Hesheab and Ella had put up blockades. I took down the blockades which Yerovim had put up in order to prevent people from going to Yerushalayim for Eilir Egel on the 15th day of Av. On the 15th day of Av, they no longer cut the wood for the Mizbeach, the Beis HaMikdash. Because Toshash Kechesh the sun's power now is weakened. And because the wood has, cannot have any worms in it, it has to stay dry. And as long as you cut wood and you put it in the sun, the sun throughout the summer dried the wood. But since now the sun was weaker already, they stopped cutting the wood for the Mizbeach. Which is a, a negative thing. They stopped cutting, they stopped doing something for the base of English. We tell you now, it means that at this point they had enough for the whole year. Also on this day, the people of Beitar, the famous story of Vakachba, where the people in Beitar had refused entry, had fought valiantly for the longest time, keeping the enemies out. And ultimately, okay. the horrific happenings, the horrific <coughs> conversation that took place where somebody caused Bakakba to kill the sage of the city by telling him that he was a revolutionary. And the entire city was the siege was sieged and killed. But it wasn't enough that they killed out the entire city of Betar. They refused to let anybody bury them. Nobody was allowed into Betar to bury the people. Finally, on the 15th day of Av, the decree was nullified. And the Jews were once again, the Jews of Betar, were allowed to be buried. So we see that many, many very, very happy occasions that took place on the 15th day of Av, thereby making it ranking as the Hoyum Tevim Yisrael in those days it was kept as a full-fledged yomtiv. Very pretty, no? Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> In this expansion, we'll go back now a little bit to the Hayyakir Tishmun. The mitzvahs that one steps on with their ankles, you're blocking the Skype over here, Mishnah. We also see the word Ekev. Ekev Ashashama Avram Bekeli. When God refers to Avram Avinu's service that he serves Hashem, 
It says, Ekev Asheshama Avraham Bekeli. Why Ekev? Get off my phone. It's like a Vanditsky. And the Farshan tell us that Avraham Avinu lived for 175 years. And then they bought him. Avraham lived for 175 years. However, since according to one Medrash, he was three years old when he came out and finally discovered God. So therefore, Ekev HaShashem Avraham Akeli, that Avraham listened to the words of God for 172 years. Rebbe? Oh. Snish the Rebbe. Back and referring, another reference to the Tfilin. I believe Yitzhak Badichev, who was known as the lawyer of the Jewish nation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once noticed a very interesting custom. A simple, simple Jew in his shul. Kamalat Sun dropped his Tfilin. And when he picked up the children, he kissed them. And I believe Levi Yitzchak turned to God and he says, God Almighty, look how special your Jewish children are. How they kiss the villain When it falls to the floor, when it falls to the ground, it falls to a lower level than it belongs. And said Levi Yitzchak to the Ebishter, What does your tefillin say, God? Who is like the Jewish nation? Where are your tefillin today, God? The Jewish nation is not, is not ranking. The Jewish nation is, is in mud. The Jewish nation is being consumed by the Goyim. So God Almighty, pick up your film. Take your film out of the dust. Kiss them. Give them Mashiach. This also is Vahaya Ekev Tishmon. This also coincides with the smallest of mitzvahs, not just a mitzvah itself, but respect for a mitzvah. The love of a mitzvah. Vata Yisrael, it says in this week's Pashim, Mo Hashem Elekech Hashem Mimoch Kim Liyira Yisei. And now, my Jewish nation, what is God asking you to do just to fear Him? And the question is, is fear a small task? He's tearing it. It says, in, yes, for Moshe it was a small task. So what is He telling me that it's a small task? For me, it's a big thing. If Moshe found it easy, I understand, 
But for me, the simple thing, the simple Jew, it's a, it's a very hard thing to fear God. We find the final conversation between Eliyahu and Avi and his disciple Elisha. Elisha asks Eliyahu to be able to be twice as great as Eliyahu. To which Eliyahu and Avi says, if you will see me, which meant that if you will see me go up to heaven, then you'll be twice as great. What did he mean by this? He meant very, very simply. If you will see me always in front of your eyes, and you will not send me off to heaven, and say, my Rebbe is gone, my Rebbe is dead, my teacher is dead, and now I am the master, and you will always see me before your eyes, you will become greater than I am. And this is Milson Zutrasahi is Yira fear a small thing. In Zakdiyamara, for Mesha Rabbeinu was small and therefore since we have Mesha, since we always see our Rebbe in front of us, our Rebbe guides us to be able to fear God and to be God fearing people and God loving people. Unfortunately for those, Ailahim who don't see the Rebbe before them on a daily basis. And Ashrecha, those who do. But why did he ask the question, Mo Hashem Aleikecha? No, no, the fingers. Watch your fingers. Why V'atli Yisrael Mo Hashem? What's the question of Mo? Tremendous, tremendous pshat. Every letter of the olive base can be written out in a word. The first letter of the olive base, the aleph, is either the letter aleph, or to write it out, you write it aleph, lamid, langefei. Base is base, yud, soft. Base, yud, soft is a base. Gimel is Gimel Yud Mem Lamed. There are two letters in the Aleph Beis that don't have that. The first letter is the Hashem cut his fingers off. Sure you can. You put your fingers in there first and see what it does. The first letter is the letter Hey. How do you write out the word Hey? Hey Hey. Hey Hey spells Hey. Either the letter Hey or Hey Hey. How do you write the letter Mem? Mem, Mem. So there's no difference between the full letter written out or the letter itself. It all is, in essence, the same letter. In the expression in Teda, that means Teicha Kibari. What's on the lung is on the tongue. 
that the person doesn't have two different things. The person doesn't say one thing and mean something else. The person lives by what he says and exists by that. And this is therefore Ma Hashem The Abish is asking you to be Ma, to be Teich Kibari. To be a full, straight, a full, straight Jew. It means not to do things because I have paneers, because I gain something from it, because I become popular, because, but to do it because this is what God wants you to do, and nothing more, nothing less. There's a Medish plea which I would like to, I think, finish off on, because I blush it can't see straight any longer. The Pasuk says, I was with Rabbi Shimon Elituv in the car now, I have the schus of taking him from the aisle to the airport. I asked him for a story, and he told me a very interesting story of a chassid that was coming back from the airport on an Arab Shabbos, and it was very late, and he got to Borough Park, right in the outskirts of Borough Park, and he lived on the opposite, total opposite end, and he wouldn't be able to get there for Shabbos, and he pulled in on this chassid, on the bottom of a chassid, on a kalina chassid, sorry, the bottom of a chassid came to a kalina, and he said he'd spend Shabbos with him, and the kalina don't sleep at night on Friday night, but he noticed the way he sat and learned and involved himself in the, the whole day on Shabbos as well. But he saw something was bothering him. So after Shabbos he asked him, what is it my friend? What's your trouble? What's troubling you? And he said, I have outstanding bounced checks from people of $450,000 and I'm stuck now, I need this money. I don't know what to do. So he told him, I'll be honest with you. If you would have shut up my door in the middle of the week and said, I need $450,000 because I'm in trouble in business, I would have told you to kiss the mezuzah. But since Ashkach Pratis has it that you ended up by my door for Shabbos, and I saw what kind of person you really are, he wrote him a check and he covered his bill. The Medish Pliya says, tortured you, you hungered, and it fed you the mon. That's the possible The Medish Pliya says, from here we learn out that we have to light candles on Shabbos. Where does candles have to do with the mon? but beautiful. <coughs> when a person sits down to the Shabbos table to eat, it's extremely important that the table is lit up with light, candle. Because if you don't see what you're eating, it doesn't have the same taste. It can be that same piece of chicken, the same spices, and cooked the same way exactly. But if it's dark and you don't see it, you don't enjoy it. 
You have some uh, some restaurants have very dim lights. You don't see it. Yeah. You know something? What are you eating? I don't enjoy it. So the Medish tells us that Enik Shabbos, how do we enjoy Shabbos? By having candles lit so we see our food. How do we learn that from the Mon? Because <coughs> you were tortured and hungered because the Mon had a taste of anything you wanted it to taste like. Whatever you decided to think that that's going to taste like, that's what it tastes like to you. But it wasn't there. You thought you were eating a rib steak, but you didn't see the rib steak. You didn't bite into that succulent steak which was dripping down from your mouth. You wanted the piece of chicken, the piece of fish, whatever it was. <coughs> you tasted it, but you didn't see it. Therefore, we learn from here that this is pure torture. To eat it and not to see it is torture. And that's why eating Shabbos is by lighting the candles of Shabbos. So may we merit that this very Shabbos the candle should be lit and the candle we should be able to see by the Suda, the main Suda, the Suda Leviyasun and Sharabar and we should all be together with the Sudas David, Malcolm, Meshicha and Yerushalayim and and we should go this half of the, the, the year it should be Mekayim already on Yutesov of the Kitsu Ranu Sheikh Neofar and we should go speedily out of Golis on this very Shabbos. Shabbos to all. Thank you. What's the name? What's the name? Do you want to go? Go on. Hey! Hey! But it's still good compared to what I, what I was as a kid. <laughs> 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 My pants couldn't sit. <laughs> 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 no. Ah, dig it, d